All right, so good to see everyone again today. Um, it's a pretty heavy text. Some of you are like, oh man, this poor guy has to get up and preach about this stuff, doesn't he? Um, so, but we have to. That's what we do when we go line by line through Scripture as we, we take it all on. So, um, so let's jump in, because we're continuing our study on what Paul meant in those opening lines of chapter 5 when he said that we're supposed to imitate God by walking in love. That is our highest calling for sure. And so we closed out that last mini-series where we learned that in order to imitate God, we need to be filled with the Spirit. And that's an opportunity cost trade-off that we've talked about. So we can certainly do things with regard to the Holy Spirit, such as grieve Him whenever we live in unrepentant sin. Or we can quench Him whenever we ignore His promptings. Or we can be filled with Him. And then Paul gives us three very specific ways that we can be filled with Him, and he reminds us that it all unfolds in the middle voice, meaning that God responds to us, he pushes us in certain directions, and we are to respond to him, and that we're to actively be engaged with him at all times. That is the focus of the middle voice. And he gives us these very three specific things that we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be praising, giving thanks, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so if you remember that teaching from the last couple of weeks, hopefully you've thought about it a little bit, and maybe you've said, okay, I'm not necessarily comfortable with this praising thing. It doesn't come natural to me, but I do come to Four Mile Church, and this is a church that praises, so I can at least get on board with that, and I can kind of lift my voice to the Lord, and I'll praise. I'll do that. Now, with regard to giving thanks, I don't always find myself being grateful, but I usually catch myself when I'm not being grateful, and I eventually get there. But now this last thing, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, I'm not so sure about that. I'm going to need to know a little bit more. And Paul anticipates that. So he actually gives us three specific examples of how it is that we can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The first is between wives and husbands. And we're going to, like Cammie said, we're going to be studying that up through Advent. So for the next couple of weeks, that's our focus. And then we're going to pick up children and parents and servants and masters at the beginning of the new year. Now, unfortunately, as we look at this thing, we sometimes get ourselves caught up in a passage that may not actually make sense with regard to what Paul is really teaching us. Because as we look at this, we're going to see that Paul starts out with husbands and wives, and then he moves to Christ in the church. And then he goes back to husband and wives, and he goes to Christ and church. So he does this back and forth so that he can teach us about both of those. But what happens is far too often we take it out of context, and we just focus on one aspect of it, and we miss the bigger picture. And that's why so many people struggle with this teaching that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. And that's because it's been abused. This passage has been abused over the years and taken out of context. And so... If we go back and realize the main reason why Paul is writing, it is simply so that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So wait a second. That means that I can be filled by the Holy Spirit by how I operate within my marriage. And that's exactly right. So this doesn't mean that husbands are supposed to get away with whatever they want or be able to boss their wives around. 
This is about being filled with the Holy Spirit by how we interact in our marriage. And it's actually that way for all relationships, really, because he says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But we notice that Paul dives into three very specific relationships that we spend a lot of time on in our lives. At our spouses, with our immediate families, between parents and children, and of course in the workplace. It comprises a huge share of the relationships in our lives. And we can allow those relationships to drain us of everything that we have, or we can operate according to God's design, and we can actually be filled by the Holy Spirit by how we operate within them. So let's briefly review the context for our passage today. Paul writes, be filled with the Spirit. So that is a directive. He's saying, go do that. How? By praising, giving thanks, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's all the stuff we already covered. And then for today, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, so let's start breaking this down. And I really need you to focus here early on with this. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now as we learned a couple of weeks ago, this word submit means to yield, subordinate, obey, or be controlled by. And so it's important, given those words, that we actually understand the original intended usage of this word. And if you missed it two weeks ago, go back and check that sermon out. You can find it online. Even if you saw it, maybe go back and, and, and check it out again. Because the abuse of this word submit by the world is what makes this such a particularly challenging teaching. So we need to spend a few minutes noticing just a few things here. First of all, the word submit is actually omitted from the original text. It just says, wives, unto your own husbands. And this is really, really important. So Paul actually wrote, be filled with the Spirit, praying and giving thanks, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, unto your own husbands, as to the Lord. So do you see the significance of this point? Because it shows that vital linkage between all that Paul was teaching before, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and this teaching this morning, this focus on marriage. It's unmistakable. So you can't separate these. This isn't about husbands, you know, you, you are supposed to be in charge, your wife is supposed to submit to you. It's not about that. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, this is why it's so important to go line by line so we don't miss these monumental points that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit in part by how we live and interact with our spouses. And that's huge because it changes the entire way, the entire perspective we take as we look at this passage about Christian marriage. It's not about husbands bossing wives around or always getting their way. There's a completely different motivation here. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit in our marriages. Now, second, Note how Paul prioritizes his instruction to the subordinate before he provides it to the head. Meaning Paul starts with wives, the one required to do the submitting. And then he moves on to the husbands, the head, those to whom the wife is to submit. 
And Paul actually does this with children and parents, as well as with servants and masters. So this is deliberate on his part, because the convention back in the day would always have been to focus on the head. But in the realm of submission, Paul reorders the way in which he addresses the subject, because the onus of submission is on the subordinate. They are to voluntarily submit. So the act of submission starts with the wife. And it's not conditional. It's not, I'll submit if he's nice to me, or I'll submit if I kind of get my way. No, it's voluntarily submitting. It's kind of like, as we referred to a couple of weeks ago, the difference between the all-volunteer military and the drafted military. It's so important that we see the difference there. Soldiers fight completely differently when they volunteer as opposed to being conscripted or directed or drafted to do something. And grasping this distinction is vital to gaining an accurate view of how submission is designed to work by God. Because the husband doesn't demand submission. The wife voluntarily submits. And that changes everything. Third, Paul speaks to a specific form of submission. is to your own husband, not other men. Now, we're all to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ so that at some level there is a submission to each other. But his instruction here is for a very specific case, wives to their own husbands. So the nature of the relationship, its marriage, is what makes voluntary submission work. However, it actually goes even beyond just the unique relationship between any wife and any husband because fourth, Paul is writing within the context of Christian marriage. Notice his words, as to the Lord. Only Christians, only those who place their faith in Jesus, voluntarily submit to the Lord. Jesus never forces us to submit. Remember, his whole approach is he presents a truth, then he presents a choice, and it's our choice from there. So Paul is describing a unique kind of marriage. He's referring to a marriage for a Christian. So here he is directing born-again wives to submit to their own husband as they submit to the Lord. Now there are at least two aspects of this phrase, as to the Lord, that we got to dig into a little bit further here. First, this raises the question about should a believing wife submit to an unbelieving husband? And Paul doesn't talk about that here, but he does in other places in Scripture, so we're not going to dig into it. But the short answer is this. Yes, they should still stay married, and yes, they should submit as to the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy or it's something that's desirable, but it just may be an opportunity that God is using through you to minister to your husband. Second, the nature of submission to a husband is different than the nature of submission to the Lord. Paul is not saying submit to your husbands in exactly the same way that you submit to Jesus. And how do we know this? Because Jesus is God. He is truth. He is perfectly holy. He is infallible. And your husbands are none of that. So Paul isn't saying submit to your husbands just like you do Jesus. Rather, the as to the Lord that language is about being obedient to God, meaning in accordance with his design. So a believing wife 
is to voluntarily yield or subordinate herself to her husband in obedience to the Lord. She does that because Jesus is now her one thing. She is devoted to him, and so she submits because he said to. That's what changes when we become born again. Our focus isn't any longer our careers, our lives, our families, even our spouses. It is our Lord and Savior. And when our eyes get focused on Him, we do things for His glory alone, we start hailing all that other business according to His design. And this clearly stands counter to the world's view of marriage, which is largely informed by the likes of Hallmark and Disney. It uses words such as, well, that's not fair or these are my rights, or falling in and falling out of love. Now, of course, same sex is just part of the discussion, or I love the term partner. This is my partner, so so to replace the husband and the wife. And it's in part why people react so strongly in the world to this text, because it flies in the face of what the world tells us marriage is actually supposed to be about. But it doesn't matter what the world says. It only matters what God says because he is the author of truth. So if you want to glorify God in your marriage, wives, submit to your husbands for the Lord's sake. This is the way God designed it from the very beginning. It's how two parties are to unite. One submits to the other. And when wives voluntarily submit to their husbands, it pleases God and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why you submit, not for your husband's sake. You're doing it for the Lord's sake. And then Paul gives us the first of two truths that underpin submission in this context. First, for the husband is the head of the wife. Now that's about as clear a statement as can be made on the matter. It's not something that is up for debate. No, Paul says it in no uncertain terms because it's a truth. The husband is the head of the wife. So let's briefly look into this truth. Let's start with this word head. It means master, chief, or leader. So that's the role of husbands in Christian marriage. Now that does not mean in any way that the wife is inferior or is less than the husband. Not at all. This is simply the position the Lord assigned her in marriage. She is the number two. And every good leader knows you can't do it on your own. The number two is every bit as vital as the number one. You ask any foreman on a work site, he cannot get the job done unless he has this deputy and that deputy is in step with them. There's not a chance. When I was a company commander, my company could not move forward unless my first sergeant was there and we were in step, the two of us working hand in hand. It's the same thing here at a church. So the Lord has placed me as the head in this case, and Cami is the number two. And I think you all know, there's the, probably the best evidence I could give you, this church could not roll without an effective number two, right? It's so important. And actually, all of you, the roles you play, are equally as important in the body of Christ here at Four Mile. But there must be order to things, or chaos ensues. It's the way God designed it back at creation. Recall, God made man first. He gave him dominion over creation, and then God made woman to be a helper. And God did that by taking a rib from Adam. So literally, woman came 
from man. So even before the fall, man was there first. God appointed him as the head of mankind, but he needed a helper. So God created woman out of man's flesh. This is a truth. And of course, these roles were further clarified when Eve gave in to the devil's temptation, and God doled out the consequences for the fall. God declared to Eve, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. So yeah, wives will have desires that are contrary to their husbands. It's just part of the consequences of the fall. So wives, you're not alone if you have conflicting desires from your husband. It's just part of the curse of sin. So many people come to see us for marriage counseling, and they think they're the only ones that have marital difficulty. Everyone has marital difficulty. It's because of conflicting desires in a marriage. And that's why, don't ever believe the lie, it will not be better with another spouse. It may be different, but there will still be conflict. There will always be there. Now, how does a conflict get resolved? Well, pretty straightforward. God determined that the husband is going to do it. It's his job now. And that is because that's the way God designed it. The husband is the head of the wife. And that is a truth. And then the second truth that underpins submission in this context, Paul writes, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as you recall, Paul has already taught us quite a bit about how God designed the church. And of course, he's referring to the invisible church, the true church, Christ's future bride, those who placed their faith in Jesus, been born again, and received his Holy Spirit. All of those from Pentecost to today comprise the church. Each saint is a unique and distinct body part, a puzzle piece of sorts, interconnected such that each body Every single part of that body is vital for the healthy functioning of the church, where each member is equally important. So there's no distinction in value, and the same thing goes in marriage. The church values every single aspect. And in the church, Jesus is the head. He's the master. He's the chief. He's the leader. And the rest of the body yields to him. We also learned earlier in Paul's letter that the Holy Spirit is always about the business of uniting the church. Because remember, God's master plan set in place before the foundation of the world is to unite all things in Christ, and he does that through the church. And that's why it's so important that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when we're filled with him, he unites us. It's all part of God's master plan. And when wives submit to their husbands out of obedience to the Lord, they're filled with him. So the Holy Spirit unites with Jesus as the head of the church, the master, the chief, the leader of his body. So it's not up for debate. I'm not in charge of the church. The elders are not in charge of the church either. Jesus is. He is the head of his church. It's the way God designed it, so it too is the truth. And so Paul uses these two truths, that the husband is the head of the wife and that Christ is the head of the church, to show us how submitting to his design puts us in step with his will, which is to unite all things in Christ, and so he fills us 
with his spirit so that the Holy Spirit can unite us. Do you see how this all hangs together? These aren't just some wise words about marriage. They're part of God's original design. They're about his will, and they're about how his Holy Spirit fills his children. So now what are we to make of this phrase, and is himself its savior? This does, what does this mean? We've got to think about this. Does this mean that husbands are the saviors of wives? Well, probably not in the sense that you're thinking. To get after this, as always, we just look at the original words. And the word savior can mean deliverer, one who grants salvation like Jesus did, or preserver, one who sustains. Now, which one is Paul referring to here? Well, if you look a little further down in the passage, we find out because he writes in verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So this word savior appears to be referring to the latter definition where the husband is the preserver or the sustainer because that's what nourishing and cherishing is all about. So as Christ, the head, nourishes and cherishes his church, so to a husband, the head, nourishes and cherishes his wife. So the word savior is actually quite appropriate here. And then Paul ties it all together by writing, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now for a believer, it's not hard to submit to Christ because we're in a relationship with him. We know that he loves us. We know that he nourishes, cherishes, and desires to preserve us. And even though life can deal us a pretty rotten hand some days, we know that submitting, yielding, or obeying Jesus is where we find that strength and wisdom to handle whatever comes our way. Well, the same thing applies in the context of Christian marriage. It's not hard for a wife to submit to a husband who nourishes, cherishes, and preserves her. That's what we're ultimately going to see that Paul shows us as he digs into husbands and we're only going to spend one week on wives, but we're going to spend three or four weeks on husbands. And in fact, I actually thought about unpacking this in reverse order. Because when you see the charge that Paul places on husbands, this isn't hard to submit if they do that. But actually, I think it's more appropriate to just do it exactly the way Paul did because the submission has to come before the actual response of the husband in love in the sense that we are submitting in the true to God's design. So important. But even still, husbands are human. They're gonna mess up. I know, I'm one of them. So what does a wife do in that case? Well, Paul tells us, submit in everything to their husbands. And this is where it gets real. It's why we need truth, because this is a hard thing to do. What happens when my husband isn't nourishing and cherishing me. Well, Paul says, we submit anyway. Because when we do that, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, that is our focus now. And we can be absolutely certain that God will nourish and cherish us even when our husbands don't. Now, there is a very important line, a very important distinction that we need to be clear about. So again, this is another time to really tune in if you happen to be daydreaming. 
When Scripture uses a sweeping word like everything, it's so important that you go to the totality of Scripture and make sure you're interpreting it within that context. For example, the Bible also teaches that believers are to submit to legal authority. So if a husband is doing things that are against the law, that is not something wives should submit to. Are we clear about that? Are we crystal clear about what he's saying here? Physical abuse is not something to be submitted to. Make no mistake about that. That is against the law. Likewise, Scripture tells us that believers are not to lead others into sin. So if a husband is doing things that are sinful, like requiring a wife to submit to lying or idolatry or something else, wives should not submit to that either. But this is where it gets so tricky because we got to be especially careful at this point because it's very tempting to twist this opportunity and apply a very liberal interpretation here. Every time we don't like something that our husband suggests that we do as a family, every time our desires are in conflict to him, we can't whip something out and try and twist it. I sometimes hear that in marriage counseling. Well, he doesn't physically abuse me, but he emotionally abuses me. Oh, really? What does that look like? Well, the neighbor lady, she gets flowers once a week. I haven't had flowers in six months. That is not what we're talking about here. That's not the spirit Paul has in mind, or else he would not have used this word, everything. That word suggests wives are to submit to as great of an extent as possible to their husbands. So the spirit is not to look for workarounds. It's to submit to everything that's in step with God's truth. And that's because this is God's design for marriage. And to be clear, this isn't easy. Marriage is one of the hardest things you'll ever be involved with, but it's also one of the most rewarding whenever we live in step with his design. That's why we don't enter into it lightly. Living life in submission to another person requires very careful consideration. And so I want to close by actually thinking hard about what does the spirit of submission really look like in the context of the Trinity? We've seen this before. It shows us that there's one God and three persons, each with a separate identity. So as a result, there's naturally going to be elements of one of them being ahead and others that are submitting. Scripture says the Son is subordinate or submits to the Father as he carries out his Father's will. Think about it. Jesus set aside his place in heaven. He came down. He died on a cross all in support of his Father's will. In fact, even before he went to the cross, he said, take this cup from me, but not my will. Your will be done. Likewise, Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit is subordinate or submits to both the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit sanctifies God's beloved children. He makes them more like Jesus, not himself. He's always pointing to Jesus. That's why we don't see a lot on the Holy Spirit at times in Scripture, because the Holy Spirit's always pointing us to Jesus. That's his focus. He also unites all things in Christ, submitting to Jesus as the head of the church. And the Holy Spirit also submits to the Father as he carries out his master plan to unite all things in Christ. So do you see how submitting to the Father doesn't take away from the Son or the Holy Spirit's essence as Almighty God? They are in perfect unity or perfect harmony 
as each play their role as one God. The Father is the creator and sustainer of the universe. The Son is the Savior and Lord of the world. And the Holy Spirit is the sanctifier of God's people. They are one God with the Father as the head. That's God's design for unity among separate entities. We see it in the Trinity. We see it in creation. We see it in his church. And we see it in marriage. It's how he designed it. And when we submit to his design, it puts us in step with his will. And he fills us with his Holy Spirit. So for a wife who has been born again, this is your greatest desire, your one thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why wives submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Now, the next couple of weeks leading up to Thanksgiving time frame, we're going to be unpacking this. And you really can't get the totality of what Paul's teaching here, wives, until you hear the other half of this for the husbands. And so I hope you'll come back. In fact, if you're here alone, bring your husband. Um, watch these sermons over the next couple of weeks. It's so important as we consider how it is that we operate in our marriages that we're glorifying God alone through it all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. It is rich, it is powerful, it is the truth. We ask that you work this teaching out in our lives so that we might be strengthened to submit to your design, to be in step with your will, and to fill us with your spirit as we live a life of love, praising you out of a profound sense of gratitude and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, but especially in our marriages. For Jesus' sake, amen.